Amen. As Pastor Sam was praying just a, a few moments ago, Pastor Chuck would love to be here, but he is on his way to the Southern Baptist Convention with several other messengers from our church. I know Joshua, our worship pastor, is going to be heading down there right after this. And yeah, there are some big decisions going on there this summer. And so if you would remember this week to be in prayer for us as a denomination and us as a church, that God would have glory and his will would be done just as it was this past week. Man, did you see all of those kids up here on this stage and those, the volunteers, the leaders, whether they were students or adults? I mean, that was incredible. Nearly 500 kids across eight sites. Wow. God is good. And what, what, I, what I think is so incredible about such a large number like that is that every single one of those kids represents a family, it represents a life, represents a story. And we all have a story, do we not? We've got stories in this room, stories of success and happiness like this past week, but we've also got stories of pain and difficulty. And today what I believe God would, would, would want to do this morning is he wants to meet with you here today, the real you. But in order for that to happen, we're going to need to be willing to get real with God. We're going to need to be willing to, to, to leave behind the mask, to leave behind the excuses, to leave behind all of those, those secret sins that are holding us back or those secret wounds that we have allowed to define us for too long. This morning, Jesus is offering us life. And real life only comes with surrender. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, go ahead and turn with me to the book of John. You can boot up the, uh, the Version app as well. We've got an event on there. If you just go to events and click on Carville First Baptist Church, you can read along with us with some of the notes that are there. But John chapter 4 specifically, go ahead and make your way there. What I love so much about this, John, it's the fourth book in the Bible, yes, but it's often considered the most loved gospel account in the Bible. And the reason it's so loved is because it's, it's, it's full of, of all of these historical accounts of things that Jesus said and did, and every single one of them pushing us to this reality, pushing us to see who Jesus really is, the Son of God. The Son of God who came to this earth to set us free from our sins and to give us life in him real life. The perfect son of God stepped into our brokenness and misery willfully, unafraid. His purpose was to redeem us and to do that he had to die for us and then rise again from the grave, defeating sin and death. And this Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead. He walked in the power of God in the flesh and he taught with such authority that crowds would gather to him in the thousands. See, everyone wanted to be near this guy. And everyone had an agenda for this guy. We would all expect the Son of God to come and to be surrounded by crowds. We would expect him to do miracles and teach with authority. But the thing that, that we would not expect, 
just like they didn't expect in the first century, was for the perfect son of God to move through the crowd to the forgotten, the unlovable, often called the unforgivable. This is Jesus. And what God shows us in his son is remarkable, the fact that Jesus would care for everybody, everyone, not just for the detail, for your life, but for the details of your life. He cares for you. And so when we come to John chapter 4, if you're there, say, I'm there. Very good. If, if when we come to John chapter 4, what we're going to do is we're going to be introduced to a woman who needs to meet with Jesus. And so Jesus goes out of his way to meet with her. And that's our first truth this morning. So if you're taking notes, I'd like you to start there, that Jesus meets us where we are. Join me in John chapter 4, verse 1. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing anyone but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. But to go there, he had to travel through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near, near the, the, the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph back in Genesis. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. And it was about noon. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Let's pray. In the name of the true Lord Jesus Christ, God, would you, would you meet us here this morning? God, allow me to declare your word as written in scripture, and God, would you speak through me to us, everyone in this room, everyone listening online, God, would you meet us here and speak to us, that we might hear what it is you are calling us to do today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. And so with the scene set, what, what might seem like some, some strange geographical details to us, so many years removed, they, they were not unimportant to this account. They're, they give us some very important historical context here. When we find Jesus at the start of John 4, he's journeying from Judea in the south to get to Galilee in the north, and to do that, he had to pass through a region called Samaria. Now, what's astounding about this, we find in verse 9, that after he asks this woman of Samaria for a drink, because his disciples, verse 8, had gone into the town to buy food, verse 9, we get her response, right? She says, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And she asked them this, check this out. Your Bible might have this in some parentheses because this is from John. This is not something she's saying. John tells us, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So it gives us what's so incredible about this moment. See, historically in the first century, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along at all. And so what would happen is if the Jews wanted to get from Judea in the south, they would actually travel two days out of their way across the, the, the Jordan River, and they would skirt around Samaria to get to Galilee. But the word of God tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria because Jesus had a plan. He had a purpose. 
Jesus wanted to pass through Samaria just so he could meet with this woman. He even waits for her to arrive just so he can specifically talk to her. And what I find incredible is that Jesus specifically orchestrates every detail about this encounter so that he can meet with her and talk to her. And I don't want you to miss this. It's no different this morning. I don't know why you came in through these doors. I don't know why you came online to watch this live stream. All I can tell you is that Jesus has been orchestrating every detail of your life to bring you to this moment because he wants to meet you where you are. Look back in verse 7. So the woman comes to draw water, and Jesus says, give me a drink. Because the disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And her response is, it's so interesting, right? Jesus is asking her to give him a drink, and her response to him is all of the reasons why he should not be talking to her. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? See, Jesus meets her where she is in the middle of the day when the sun is at its peak. She's just hiked all the way from Sychar to this well. She's hot, she's sweaty, she's alone, and she's totally shocked that he's not only talking to her, but he's asking something from her. But notice that Jesus doesn't waste time with the the, the details and the excuses. See, Jesus looks beyond her race and her gender He looks beyond all of the social barriers, all of the labels that the world wants to use to define her because he sees the most important factor. Who she is to God. When he looks at her, he sees a daughter of the king whom he has come to set free. That's why in verse 10, Jesus answers straight to them. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was talking to you, give me a drink. You would ask him, and he would give you living water. See, Jesus meets us where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. He isn't fooled by our deflections or the masks that we wear, the excuses that we make. So I don't know what you came wearing on your face when you came into this room or when you, when you hopped online. I don't know what your past looks like or what you're feeling in this moment, what weight you're carrying. But he's come to meet you and to offer you life. That's what Jesus did here in John 4, and that's what he's doing today. Our second truth this morning is that Jesus offers us life. Don't take my word for it. He offers her living water. He said in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who was asking you for a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And this sounds great to her, except, sir, she answers, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? If you're one of those people like me who kind of writes in your Bible, this might be a a little sentence, a little question to underline. Because regardless of all the other things she's saying, this is the question Jesus latches onto. 
And it's the most important question she could have asked. Where do you get this living water? She goes on, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus said to her in verse 13, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. She's focused on the well. And so what he's gonna begin to do is to shift her focus and attention from the physical to the spiritual. I mean, just looking in verses 13 and 14, the fact that this this water cannot satisfy and that whoever would come to him and drink from the water he offers, they would have eternal life. What he's getting at here is that he's trying to reveal her greater need because Jesus knows the truth about this woman. The reality is, is that she is broken. Spiritually, emotionally, she's broken. She's broken in the shame and in the guilt that she has experienced in her life. And so he begins to point out the flaw in her thinking, which is the same flaw of this well, that the water from this well can't satisfy. And everything she's been turning to throughout her life, everything she's been trying to pull from and run from, everything, it will not satisfy what she needs. Now, obviously, in the first century, they didn't have running water or plumbing. And so instead, villages like these would be built next to wells. And early in the morning and then late in the evening, the women and the children would go to the well carrying jars to bring back water to use for the rest of the day. They would never go to the well in the middle of the day when the sun was at its peak and it was hot. But that's exactly when she comes every day. She comes every day at noon because she's trying to avoid anyone she could possibly run into. And that is why Jesus came, sat by the well, and waited to meet her there. And what we're about to learn is what Jesus already knew, that she is trapped in guilt and shame, which has created an endless cycle of brokenness. And what he's trying to tell her is that this isn't really living. He says in verse 13, whoever drinks from this water will only get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I will give will never be thirsty again. In fact, it will become a well, a spring welling up for eternal life. He's offering her real life. However, all she can think about is how she can keep avoiding people. That's why in in, in, in verse 15 she says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't have to get thirsty and come here to draw water anymore. She wants it so she can continue to escape. She can't even think about freedom because she's so fixated on her escape. And if this man can offer her a water source that will keep her from having to come back here, she's game. because of the brokenness that she lives. And I want to talk to you all about brokenness for a moment. So the reality is we all experience brokenness. All you got to do is go outside, turn on the news, scroll Facebook, and, and you can all tell that the world is not the way it should be. Man, it's messed up. 
because it's broken. And, and, and the Bible tells us the reason for the brokenness in the world. The Bible reveals to us that the brokenness we experience and face in our life is the result of sin in the lives of people. And everyone sins. Our sinful actions are, are most often recognized by our selfishness and pride in our decision-making the things we do, the things we take, how we do it, what we say, how we say it, that's where sin can be so clearly displayed and it just causes brokenness and pain. And all of our sin traps us in that, that endless cycle because it compounds each other. Your sin compounds my sin, my sin compounds yours. And we live in a broken world as a result. And because of this and the fact that everyone alive intuitively knows that this is not the way the world should be. And so everyone seeks to find an escape from the guilt and the shame that they feel, from the brokenness that's around them. We, we try to fill our lives with things that we think are going to add value or meaning to the pain that we face. And some people will try to escape their brokenness by turning to friends that was me in middle school and high school. Every day I could possibly get out of the house to get away from the health issues and the abuse, I would take it. I didn't want to be home. And so I would, I would turn to my friends and try to get out of the house as if that was going to help me to, to somehow fix or heal what I was experiencing. For others, it's making enough money or being successful enough that, that if you and I could just make enough money or succeed you know, far enough, then we wouldn't have to even worry about how broken things are. As if throwing money at a problem ever actually fixed the brokenness. Others turn to food or video games or sports, or drugs, or even alcohol to numb the pain and pretend like it's not happening. And still others turn to relationships and sex. And to borrow from Jesus' own analogy, we could call all of these different things a different well. The well of money and success and stuff, the well of fame, the well of pleasure, the well of relationships... These are all these different pursuits that you and I, we, we try to draw from in order to find value and meaning for what we're facing. But here's the reality. All of these pursuits that we are following for satisfaction never leave us satisfied. They only ever leave us wanting more. So can, can you and I just be honest for a second? If you were to be honest with yourself, are you satisfied? Really? This is what Jesus is talking about all the way back in verse 10 when he says, if you knew the gift of God and who was talking to you right now, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Jesus refers to himself as living water, which is a direct quote from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. Check it out in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. The word of God came to the prophet and he said, for my people have committed a double evil, two evils. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And they've dug cisterns for themselves, great big clay pots to hold water, except that they're cracked cisterns and they can't hold anything. And so Jesus is telling this woman 
that he can give life and freedom and value that actually satisfies, but without him, we are all just pouring ourselves into cups with holes that hold no substance. And so Jesus comes to offer us life because without him, we are just wasting our time. And so if we were to get back to Jesus in chapter four of John, See, Jesus wants this woman to experience freedom from her brokenness and to really start living. And to do that, he's going to have to press her a little bit. Look in verses 16 through 18. So she responds, sir, give me this water in verse 15 so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here anymore to draw water. But Jesus presses in and he says, go call your husband and come back. And she responds, I don't have a husband. Which is perhaps the most truthful thing she could have said. And he says, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. So what you've said is true. And she stops. In an instant, her whole life is laid bare at his feet. She came in the middle of the day to avoid conversations. She came so that she wouldn't have to deal with all the shame of all the people of the village who know her past, looking at her with ridicule, spitting at her feet. And here she comes alone, and here's Jesus. And what he says seems a little harsh to us, but here's the reality. He knows the only way that she can experience life is if she stops wasting her time trying to escape or searching for value in the well of relationships and sex. And so because of all of this, this this well has left her used. It has never satisfied her. Five different men have used her for a little while and then left her as damaged goods. And now the guy she's living with won't even commit He wants all the benefits that can bring, but he doesn't actually want her, and he certainly doesn't want her shame. In the first century culture here, this would have been an an, an honor and shame culture, and so the idea of of an unmarried, childless woman would be the deepest shame imaginable. Add to that the brand, like a massive scarlet letter across her chest. She said five different husbands brands her an adulteress. Can you imagine the shame and the guilt that just comes to the forefront here as Jesus presses her on this reality? Shame from what's been done to her, don't miss that, and guilt from her own sinful choices that she's committed on her own. So why is he doing it? Hear me on this. Because the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to set us free from our sin. That we might experience new life in him. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's why Jesus had to pass through Samaria to meet this woman. To set her free, a daughter of the king who's been living in the brokenness of her sin and her her, her past mistakes and all the ways that people have tried to use her and keep her trapped. And so he he wants to set her free in this moment. And to do that, she's going to have to face her shame and repent from the sin that's in her life so that she can be set free and find life in him. And today's no different. 
You and I cannot experience freedom or life in Christ while we're trying to draw from the wrong well. You and I cannot have that new life that Jesus promises to bring while we're stuck in our sin. And so Jesus begins to lovingly lead her to the fact that real life only comes with surrender. And you and I both need to hear that this morning. That real life only comes with surrender. That's our third truth this morning. And our takeaway. It's the most important fact that we're finding right here in John 4. Look at, look at what happens. So in, in verse 16, Jesus presses in and, and kind of calls her out for a moment. But remember, they're alone. He says, go and, and call your husband and come back. And she says, I've, I don't have one. He says, you're right. You've had five. The one you're with now is not your husband. What you've said is true. And somehow in the midst of this, with her whole life laid bare, and there's just, there's no more mask. It's all fallen away. Ever, all this guilt and shame is now at the forefront right here. She's able to somehow say, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. You think? But then she immediately deflects, just like we all do when the Holy Spirit begins to bring sin to the forefront of our minds, when we are confronted on something that's too painful for us to think about. She deflects. She says, well, our our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, and you and the Jews say that the place to worship is Jerusalem. And Jesus says to her, believe me, woman, there's an hour coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You worship what you don't know, and we worship what we know for salvations from the Jews. But listen, but an hour is coming, underline, and is now here. Can you just picture him in that moment leaning in? An hour is coming and is now here, right now, he's telling her. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. When Jesus identifies through the power of the Holy Spirit her very source of shame and brokenness, she immediately puts up a guard. We saw it. And she tries to deflect to some kind of disagreement that the Jews and Samaritans had. But Jesus, that's the furthest thing from important to him in this moment. So he, he moves straight beyond that to get straight to that question she asked it all the way back at the beginning of the passage. Where do we get this living water? And, she's, and, and, and Jesus tells her, In verse 23, but an hour is coming and it's right here, right now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. See, he knows what she needs. And real life only comes with surrender. It's not about here or there or where, it's about a who. It's about Jesus. And he says that the only way to really experience life in a relationship with God is through spirit and in truth. See, this whole time she's been stuck on the physical, but he's bringing her to the point where she can confront the spiritual. And God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And this, goes, this idea of spirit goes beyond raising hands and singing songs. Because ultimately, really, that's just physical. Spirit goes beyond that. To, it means everything we are. 
our hopes and dreams, our desires, our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. To worship God in spirit means everything we are, and to worship him in truth means 100% honesty about who we are and who he is. See, Jesus is showing her that if she wants to experience life in a relationship with God, free from shame and guilt, then she's going to have to be honest with God and herself. Everything she is, nothing held back. And that's why at the very end of verse 23, Jesus says, yes, the Father is seeking such people to worship Man, that sentence might be lost on us. But in this moment, oh, he's looking at the woman who has spent her entire life trying to hide her shame and guilt, trying to hide from people, trying to get away from this, this brokenness that she can't escape from. The fact that five different people have used and abused her, and now here she is, and what he's saying in this moment when he says, for, for God is looking for such people to worship him, what he's saying to her, the most unwanted, is that God wants you. And that's what God is saying to us this morning. I don't know what you walked in here with. I don't know what you're dealing with, but God knows. I don't know the pains of your past or how far you think you've fallen, but God knows. I don't care how unlovable you fear, or feel, God knows, and he wants you. Because real life only comes with surrender. And so this, this, this writer right here, John, the Apostle John, he, he would go on to talk even more about this concept, even more about what he's getting at, what Jesus is getting at with this woman in one of his letters to the churches in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John writes this, that if we confess our sins... To God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everything we are, nothing held back. That if we would just confess our sins, see, Jesus laid her whole life at his feet so there was no need for a mask. There was no need for her to try to hide her sin and her pain. And instead, it's all there. And what, what God is calling you and I to do is to do the very same thing, that we would just confess our sins and we say, God, this is me, that we would worship him in, in spirit and in truth with 100% honesty about where we are and what we're facing and what we've done. And we say, God, I am a sinner. And I've caused a ton of brokenness in my life, maybe even in the lives of my family or other people. But God, I, I, I can't get away from it. I can't fix this brokenness. God, this is me. That we confess our sins to him. And listen, because it's about 100% honesty about who you are and who God is, that we would recognize that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. To say faithful to forgive means that he cannot not. When we come and we confess to him what we've done and what's been done to us and what we've experienced, guys, he forgives us. And it's more than just this, this accepting of an apology. It goes on to say, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You know that shame and guilt and that weight that you, you walk around with every day? Yeah, God came to take that off your shoulders. And when we come to him in full confession, 
That's exactly what it feels like. That you can breathe again. That you're no longer defined by your past, but you're defined by what Jesus says about you. Everything we are, nothing held back. That's what he's getting at with this woman. And to take it an even step further, the Bible goes on. Remember, it's a 100% honesty about who we are and who he is, right? The Bible goes on to tell us in Romans 10, verse 9, that if we'll confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, that he's the rule, the Savior of the world, that he is Lord of our lives, and if we will believe that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Why did Jesus have to bring all of this sin and shame to the forefront of her mind? So that she didn't have to hide anymore and she could just confess it right there in front of him. And then notice this, so that she could see him for who he was. Look in verse 25 of John chapter four. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, (laughs) who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. See, she has faith. And what does Jesus say? He says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. He meets her right where she is and offers her life. He's not hiding. You know, it's all throughout the Gospels, just all the time he tells people, hey, and, and don't tell anybody about this, but he goes out of his way to meet with this woman who's rejected by society to set her free, to say, I am the Messiah, the one you've been searching for and hoping for, the one who can bring life, I'm he. And what we see happens next is she, she responds in faith, just like Romans 10, 9 tells us. This confession that Jesus is Lord, this belief that, that Jesus is who he says he is and he will do what he says he has done. Because what happens next is just a flurry of events. The disciples come back and this woman leaves her jar there and goes running back to the village to tell all of the people she's been trying to avoid for years that she's found the savior of the world. And what happens is that those town people, when they they see like, whoa, they see this change in her, they, they immediately go out to the same well and they encounter Jesus and then they respond with faith and repentance. Because Jesus offers life, but real life only comes with surrender. And and what I I think is so beautiful (laughs) is that this change that has come over her life is so powerful that it's contagious. She doesn't just feel new. She is new. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, the old things All the sin, the shame, the guilt, the past, the labels, all the old things have passed away. They are dead. And behold, the new has come. Life in Christ, new. Defined by Jesus and his sacrifice. Nobody wanted her. But Jesus came to this earth because God loved the world so much that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. The value of an object is what one is willing to pay. Jesus came out of his way to meet her and would eventually go to the cross to die for her. 
See, see, what happens is Jesus stepped into our brokenness and misery to pay the price for our sins. All the brokenness that we experience and we see and that we cause in this world, he went to the cross as a sacrifice for us, paying the price as if he was the perpetrator, as if he was the abuser, as if he was the guilty. But he didn't stay dead because the perfect son of God got up from that tomb to hold the keys of sin and death and life and to offer us real life if we would surrender to him. At this moment, I'm gonna ask for, I'm gonna ask for our team to come up, our praise team up on stage and, and, our, and our staff just coming down here on the floor in front of the steps because we're gonna move into a time of response. This whole past week, We've been declaring to, to boys and girls and, and moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas that, that Jesus is real, that he is king, the savior of the world. And that if you and I would just confess our sins to him, that he would be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so right, right here this morning, Jesus has been on full display. Are you willing to be honest this morning? Everything you are, nothing held back. See, many of, of you in this room, you've been raised in church. You, you've known about Jesus. You, you know the gospels that he comes to give us freedom from sin. And yet, yet you could even possibly say that, but I don't feel like that. Because so often we just go back to that well and begin drawing from that, that stuff that, that is, has no substance rather than turning to Jesus. And so if that's you today, friend, you're not too far. Jesus wants to meet you this morning. And so will you confess your sin? Will you say, God, this is who I am. This is the well that keeps stealing my attention. Would, would you offer that to him and find life? For those of you in the room who, as I've been talking, maybe God's been, been really dealing with your heart and, and you know you've never had a relationship with Jesus. Hold up. Jesus came to meet with you and he's offering you life. But real life only comes with surrender. So if you would all join me and stand. As we move into this time in response, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray and I wanna offer you an opportunity if that's you this morning and you're tired of being defined by your brokenness, inescapable, then all I want you to do is to repeat after me. Pray right where you are. The words aren't special. It's what you are confessing to God, your sin. And it's what you're confessing about Jesus, your Lord, and you will be saved. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Let's pray. And if that's you, I want you to repeat with me. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and that God, I have tried, I've tried to deal with everything myself, but I'm done running. God, I want you to take my sin. God, would you forgive me? God, would you be the Lord of my life? And would you give me eternal life forever? Jesus, you are my Lord. And if you would just for one more second, leave your, your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If that was you, 
I'm not going to ask you to come forward or do anything crazy. I just want you to raise your hand. If you would confess that Jesus is Lord, if you would just raise your hand right where you are, I just want to be able to pray for you in this next moment. That's all. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Father God, move in power in Jesus' name.